0: Well, good morning again. My name is uh, Steve. Um, I am not Pastor Steve. We have we have already had this conversation, um, or Pastor Elect Steve, or anything like that. I no, that's just not me. I'm just Steve. Okay, uh, you can call her, call me Older Steve, Elder Steve. Or that's okay. I had a birthday last week, so I'm now older. Uh, so, thank you. Uh, I happened to look it up, and I was born in 1958, and for all of you uh, techies, uh, the microchip was invented in 1958, so I'm as old as a microchip, how about that? Um, They're a lot smaller now than they were when they were first invented. But uh, anyway, I want to to welcome everybody here this morning, I want to welcome uh, visitors. Thank you for being here with us. and uh, our scripture this morning, again, we're in James, we're in chapter 2, we'll be beginning in uh, verse 14 and going through uh, 26, It's James 2, 14 through 26. While you're turning there, um, I would uh, like to thank you again for the opportunity uh, to bring you a message this morning. Um, I know I say this every time I get up here, and I hope you don't. Get tired of hearing it but um, I am continually amazed every time that I have an opportunity to do this how God has taken somebody like me and uh, is now using me to do something like this and it um, it humbles me and um, and I thank you for the opportunity to do this um, and I also want to say that if if he can use me, uh, he can use you. Um, we um, we've got. Kyle made the uh, the announcements earlier about Josh and Hannah and and um, Mandy and Shane, and and I want to I want to say this. Those are not sad things. Um, those are God. That is God working in our community. Um, it's with with. Josh and Hannah, it's adding to our fellowship. We're adding another child to our fellowship, uh, which is a great thing, Uh, which y'all that know me would know two years ago, I would say that with clenched teeth. But now uh, I'm kind of getting to where I like kids, Um, (laughs) especially my own grandkids. I kind of love those guys now. and, uh, and the opportunity with, with Mandy to step out into the community, I've had a chance to talk with her for just a few minutes about some of the things that she plans to do, and, uh, and it's, it's amazing. So, so these are, are awesome things that God is doing in our congregation. Um, and I thought while I was sitting there that it's, it's interesting that we have these openings that have come up, and I'm going to be talking about works this morning. So um, that means there's opportunities available. Hint, hint. So anyway, if you uh, if you again will uh, uh, if you turn to uh, James chapter two verse fourteen, if you're able to stand with me, would you do do so so we can uh, read God's word? What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith? justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Please be seated. I don't often use big ideas um, when, when I do have this opportunity But as I was studying this this week, there was something that just came out and and, uh, I couldn't get it off my mind. So the big idea for this morning is faith alone bonds us to Christ, yet this faith cannot remain alone. Its resulting work must be bearing the fruit of love or it is nothing but dead and useless. If there's nothing else that you hear me say this morning, I pray that you remember that when you leave. Faith alone bonds us to Christ. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you again for this opportunity to be able to be in front of your people and speak. Father, I am totally, totally reliant on you this morning. Father, I pray that uh, you give me the the air in my lungs that I need to proclaim your truths. I pray that you give me the the breath to preach your word. Father, I pray that... uh, the words that I have put on paper today will be what your people need to hear. I pray that you bless them. And I pray, God, that um, we leave here with the knowledge, the fact, that our faith alone binds us to you. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So the big idea this morning focuses on faith. So if we're going to talk about faith, let's all make sure that we understand what faith is all about, right? Let's make sure that we have that definition together. The Oxford Dictionary defines faith as complete trust or confidence in someone or something or it says, in the doctrines of religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. But I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't care too much for either one of those definitions of faith. When, when I, when I want to look at a definition for faith, I want to see what God says about faith. So Hebrews 11.1, I think, says it best. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But, so, so we, when we use this verse, we can simply say that the biblical definition of faith is trusting God for things we can't explicitly prove. But if you look at that verse closely, there are two parts to it, two aspects to it. One is an intellectual aspect. And that is where it says not seen. And then there's a belief aspect. And that's where that verse says hoped for. So let me give you a silly example of that. This morning when you came into the sanctuary, you looked around and you were looking for somewhere to sit. So you look around and you find this chair. Your mind tells you that you're looking for a chair. You're not looking to sit on anything else except the chair. So your mind tells you to look for a chair. So you find a chair, and don't deny this. The first thing you did was, before you sat down in that chair, was thought, who normally sits here? Am I taking their seat? Don't deny it, you did it, didn't you? Okay, especially if you're sitting somewhere different. You know, if, if you're one of those that sits in the same place every week, if, if you sit over here, if you move over here next week, then the world's gonna tilt this way. So, <clears throat> so you found your chair. Your mind tells you that's a chair. When you sit down on that chair, that's where faith comes in. You have faith in that chair that it's going to hold you up. And like I said, that's kind of a, a silly example of that. But let's look at it another way. Where does biblical faith come from? Ephesians 2.28 tells us, for by by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift from God. It's the Word of God that produces faith in us. Romans 10.17 tells us, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we can come to faith only through hearing the gospel and the specific message that must be heard is the word of Christ. That is the good news of Jesus Christ as the crucified and risen Savior. So there's biblical faith. We see another type of faith called saving faith. Faith in Jesus is saving faith, whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he has offered to us in the gospel. That comes from the Westminster Assembly's shorter catechism. I quoted a catechism. Y'all, and and that'll be the last time, but I quoted a catechism. R.C. Sproul says saving faith which he calls Christian faith he says that Christian faith is a personal act involving the mind the heart and the will just as it is directed to a personal God and not an idol or an idea so now we have biblical faith we have saving faith So what's the source of our faith? Simply enough, Jesus is the source of our faith because Jesus is the son of God. Jesus gives us living water by which we can be saved through grace, that grace and mercy are given to us by God. Faith is from God. God gave us his one and only son to atone for our sins. So now that we've looked at a little bit about faith, so we claim to have faith, right? Most of us claim to have a faith. But the problem sometimes arises when that faith remains here and doesn't move to here. That knowledge of faith resides in our head but the belief is a matter of the heart. I've heard it said, and I'm sure you have too, that the longest 12 to 18 inches in the world is this, is this distance between our head and our heart. So true faith transforms our conduct as well as our thoughts. That's when we move that faith from intellectual to a saving faith. If our lives remain unchanged, we, truly, we don't truly believe the faith that we claim to accept. Here's another question about faith. Why does God save us by faith alone? Why doesn't God just prescribe some specific duty, some quest Um, that uh, we might be able to do to complete or prove our worthiness. You know, Christianity is unique in that it is taught that no amount of good works will make us right with God. And you know why that is because faith eliminates the pride of human effort, because faith is not a work that we do. Faith exalts what God has done, not what people do. Faith admits that we can't keep the law or measure up to God's standards, we need help. Faith is based on our relationship with God, not our performance for Him, right? Thank you, Jesus. So we are saved by faith alone, and at that time, we're all declared justified. So before we move into this discussion over faith and works, let's make sure we understand what we mean by justified. Justified or justification means that we're being made righteous. Let's look at this word justified as it's used in the case of James. Before we get into these two conflicting looks at the word justified, I think John Piper made a good quote about Uh, about some of these apparently conflicting verses in our Bible. Piper says, When the Son of God became a human being, he became vulnerable to abuse and death. When the Word of God became human language, it became vulnerable to ambiguity and misunderstanding. we'll look at apparently conflicting passages from James and Paul that are caused by multiple meanings of this same word, justification. One we just looked at, look at James 2.24 again, where it says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. But then if we look at what Paul says in Romans, Romans 3.28 Paul says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So these two verses apparently look on the surface to be totally contradictory. But the issue is is the meaning of the two words, the two meanings of the word justification. Now, In our home groups on Wednesday night, I think the book did a great job explaining this. Um, I will apologize, first off, if you were in home group on Wednesday night, you're hearing this for the second time. Uh, If you were not in home group on Wednesday night, you should be so that you will be hearing it for the second time on Sunday. So I'm gonna read this again. And it comes directly from the Home Group book. And it's referring to this verse, James 2.24. And it begins, Verse 24 has caused significant confusion among Christians because it seems to formally contradict Paul's teaching that we are in fact justified by faith alone. Justification, however, has two different meanings in Scripture. On the one hand, is Paul's somewhat technical use of the word to mean a judicial declaration, an acquittal, and declaration that a person is regarded as righteous. Let me stop right there for just a second. Paul uses the definition that says a judicial declaration. Remember Paul's background. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees he had been taught from the get-go the law he was a very educated man so we would we would expect him to use that technical definition of the word justification where he says it's a judicial declaration and then and it, Paul also says that this justification happens through faith alone on the basis of Christ's righteousness alone. On the other hand, however, as an older and more common meaning of justification as a public presentation of a person as being righteous, this is what James uses, we don't have any evidence that James was a very educated man. You Remember James, the brother of of Christ, didn't believe that he was the Messiah the whole time Christ was alive. He didn't uh, really come to faith until after Christ's death. So we would expect him to use that more common use of the word justification, common definition. So the example used in the book is of a wedding minister's pronouncement uh, that a couple are man and wife. And um, so let's, let's think about this for a little, bit, a little bit. You've got a, at the end of the wedding, you've got the minister, you've got the, the bride and the groom. The bride and groom are still facing each other. They do, the minister does his thing, and then he declares the man and wife to be one. He declares them husband and wife. So that is the judicial or that's the legal definition of marriage. They've been proclaimed husband and wife. But then the husband and wife then turn and face the congregation and the minister says, now I pronounce to you Mr. and Mrs. as husband and wife. That's the public pronouncement that they are now husband and wife. So that is the, as as I said, that's the public presentation of the couple. So you have the, the legal definition of the marriage and then the public presentation of justification in marriage. So let's look briefly here um, at, uh, at both Paul and, and James's use of Abraham as an example, uh, even though they tend to be, uh, to me, a little bit more muddy than, uh, than what we've just talked about. Uh, Paul writes in Romans 4, beginning in verse 1, uh, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul here is using Genesis 15, 6, which is a key verse that's been quoted at least four times in the New Testament. And this means that the faith in God is something that everyone in the Bible is expected to exercise. Uh, it entails trust in or confidence reliance on God based on the truthfulness of his words. From James 21, and from our text this morning, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? James is referencing Genesis chapter 22, in which the event occurred approximately 30 years after the events in chapter 15 used by Paul. The reference, let me make sure you understand, the the reference that Paul uses in in his version of of, uh, what he's talking about occurred at the initial saving, if you will, the acceptance of Abraham of God. And then the the, uh, situation that James uses was 30 years later after uh, Isaac had been born. And uh, so it it was used later. Here Abraham's faith was already established. In verse 21, when God called on Abraham to take Isaac, his only son, and sacrifice him, Abraham's faith was being validated as genuine. Abraham has been justified in faith, but now his faith was being justified by works as a process of sanctification, the ongoing process of justification. Then we get to Rahab. The story of Rahab is a little bit clearer for me, a little bit more simple. Uh, you remember Rahab is the, uh, the prostitute that lived at Jericho. When, <clears throat> when the uh, Israelites sent spies uh, to Jericho to check out um, the land around, Rahab hid them, and in return, her life and the, her family's life was spared. And the reason for that was that Rahab had already heard about all these miraculous things that God had done for the Israelites in their exodus from, uh, from Egypt, and she believed in God. So Rahab was justified by her faith, and her faith was justified by her works, Both of these instances teach justification by faith alone, but James is looking past the initial moment of justification to the ongoing process of sanctification. James is saying that faith alone saves, but works gives evidence that it is the true faith. I know that repentance is not mentioned in, this, in the scripture that we read this morning. But as I was putting this together, I, it, it kind of struck me that uh, there may be some people that are wondering where does repentance fit into this works, justification, sanctification process. So I just wanted to take just a second basically just to read a quote about repentance. This, this quote comes from ninemarks.org, And it says, Some people say that you can believe in Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. That is, you can believe in Him, but never repent of your sin. You can believe in Him and be saved even if your life goes on as it was just before you became A Christian. Or so the claim goes. Some people even claim that if we say repentance is necessary for salvation, we're adding works to the gospel. They claim that if repentance is required, then we're no longer saved by God's grace alone, but by what we do as well. So then, is repentance a work we must perform? in order to earn our salvation no not at all repentance and faith are really two sides of the same coin repentance is turning from sin faith is turning to trusting in and relying on Christ repentance is not a work any more than faith is we simply renounce our sin and rely on Christ Faith apart from works is dead. Is your life producing works? Works of love for God and for others? Works that are not only financial, but are physical also. You may not be able to financially help a lot of other people. But let me tell you from from my experience, in being involved with ministries and charities and such. There are many times when somebody shows up to help with a physical project that is just as important as a financial, something that they might give to us. It's a huge blessing. Remember what James says in verse 15 and 16, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? Is giving a cold, hungry person a good word and a pat on the back? as they are sent down the road? Is that a good work? No. That is not. And, and brothers and sisters, that's not me telling you that. James, the brother of Christ, in his divinely inspired writings that are part of God's holy word, is telling us that. I want you to open your eyes today and, and look for those opportunities presented to us to change people's lives. Be eternally thankful for the justification of your faith and continue to seek opportunities to accomplish the works that bear the fruit of love while God continues to sanctify your life. James and Alan and I will be available after the service today if if you have any questions. I want to remind you again of the one thing I ask you to remember out of this message, and that is that faith alone bonds us to Christ. Yet this faith cannot remain alone. Its resulting work must be bearing the fruit of love or it is nothing but dead and useless. I'd like to end with a quote from a lady named Helen Wodehouse, and then we'll pray. We think we must climb to a certain height of goodness before we can reach God. But he says, no, at the end of the way you may find me. He says, I am the way. I am the road under your feet. The road that begins just as low down as you happen to be. If we are in a hole, the way begins in the hole. The moment we set our face in the same direction as His, we are walking with God. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the life that is in Your Word. I thank You that we have an opportunity to hold Your Holy Word in our hand, And I pray, God, that we take the opportunity to study that. Father, I pray that this morning that as we leave here, that we take a new look around, be aware of people that are hurting around us. People that we can help either financially either physically, spiritually, emotionally. Father, and I pray that we continue as you sanctify us through our lives, that our works would continue to produce love. We ask these things in your most holy name. Amen.